This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible healthcare for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of healthcare. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Cleaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Value-based care, we have both an economic and a moral imperative. What's at stake is so much more than saving our healthcare system. It's about ensuring the continued prosperity of our nation to ensure that we leave it better for future generations. And the best indicator of whether our country is on the right path is the assurance that healthy mothers can give birth to healthy children. And those children, in turn, must be assured of good care and a sound education that will enable them to face the challenges of a changing world. And if we could have just but one generation of properly born, educated, and healthy children, many of the insurmountable problems in our country would vanish in our lifetimes. Eric, that's so true. And in this week's Race to Value episode, listeners, you're going to hear from the value-based care leader who is boldly moving beyond with a call to action to serve our nation's youth. Karen Wilding is the Chief Value Officer at Nemours and is on a passionate pursuit of the quadruple aim, and her health system is redefining children's health in our country. Nemours Children's Health is truly leaning in to the promise of population health by transforming the very definition of what it means for children to be healthy. And their value journey reflects a bold vision to create the healthiest generations of children that will take us beyond medicine by ultimately impacting the world. If you're looking for an example of inspirational leadership and value-based care, look no further than Karen Wilding and the Nemours Children's Health System. Well, this is Race to Value listeners, another great episode. We appreciate your support every week and tuning in. And if you like what you hear and you want to support us, the best way to do that is to go to Apple Podcast and leave us a review, a rating. And we also have a newsletter that you can subscribe to on racetovalue.org. So without further delay, let's now hear from Karen Wilding, the Chief Value Officer at Nemours, who joins us this week on the Race to Value. Karen, it's so wonderful to have you on the Race to Value this week. Family-centered care is the cornerstone of population health. And we're really looking forward to discussing with you the value journey at Nemours Children's Health. Eric, thank you so much for having me. It's really my honor to be able to share the work that we do. The teams are so passionate about how we can advance children's health. And so it's really exciting, an opportunity to share what we've learned and, and where we're going. Well, let's let's get started. You know, I, I was thinking as we started our conversation today, I wanted to get your perspective on whole child care models and how that relates to the broader movement and value-based care. Nemours Children's Health believes in supporting each child's whole health, the social, economic, behavioral, environmental factors that affect their lives. And when kids and their families walk through the doors at Nemours, whether it's an inpatient or outpatient setting, I know the facility really focuses on the children's overall wellness and healing. And Nemours just isn't thinking about value-based care differently. The organization is really delivering on that promise through an outstanding results-oriented transformation. I mean, Nemours is the only children's health system in the country with two freestanding children's hospitals, in addition to outpatient locations in Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Florida. You're caring for nearly half a million children each year, and you've gained national recognition as an organization. 
the vision of Nemours is to transform the health of children beyond medicine by working to improve the health of the world in which every child lives. And that superlative mission I know is exemplified by three words, well beyond medicine. So Karen, can you describe the whole person care orientation at Nemours and how that informs your journey in value-based care? And how does the well beyond medicine credo translate not only to keeping children healthy during this challenging time, but also serving as an aspiration to create a population health legacy that impacts future generations? You're spot on. You know, we really do believe in going well beyond medicine, and that's to really achieve the vision of the healthiest generations. We aspire to take whole child health and bring it together with the broader ecosystem. And the way that we do that is looking at, you know, the patient and family is at the center of all that we do. And we need to work with not just the Nemours organization, but we have a clinically integrated network. We work with our partners uh, to work on ensuring access to all of the high quality care, mental health, behavioral health services that are needed. And some of those, you know, beyond primary care and behavioral health, there's also our specialty care. It could be dental, preventative, education. Uh, So there's so many services that we really believe as a healthcare delivery organization, we have an opportunity to expand and go well beyond medicine. But we wouldn't be going beyond medicine if we didn't also think about the social determinants of health. And Nemours has been uh, leading that charge around social determinants of health screening. Uh, To date, we've completed over 50,000 screens of our population, whether those are in our primary care, uh, we've assessed in some of our emergency room locations, et cetera. And, you know, what we've learned through that social determinant health screening is that there is tremendous need in populations that maybe you wouldn't have thought. Um, And that's really allowed us through the screening process to expand our care network to the community and to engage partners across the continuum uh, and really with a goal that we have shared accountability through the children's health network that we're we're leading. And that could be things like food insecurity, housing, early child health education, K to 12, we operate school-based health centers, youth programming. So there's so many different interventions that maybe are not clinical in nature, but we know address the whole child. And then perhaps to me, what is really exciting is our ability to drive macro system impact. And what I, what I mean by that, you know, we're an anchor institution in the communities that we serve. And so we really take that anchor institution philosophy and apply it in a variety of ways, whether that's looking at best practice clinical research and transformation. It could be the cross-sector partnerships that we have across Really, it's also about pushing health equity investments. Specific to health equity, we know that there is a tremendous opportunity to address health disparities. We see that in the communities we serve in Delaware. We see that in Florida. And we know that there are opportunities, whether it's teen birth rates, children who don't have access to preventative care, infant mortality rates, and even household income all drivers that speak to how people access healthcare, uh, leverage healthcare, and really have total outcomes. So, you know, I think for us, the well beyond medicine is really a commitment, a promise that we're not just going to be caring for the medical aspects of children, but we're also going to take into account the larger health ecosystem. Uh, And all of that's guided by driving whole child health and creating healthiest generations. Karen, what an ambitious and wonderful mission, and I'm excited to dive into some more depth on a lot of the things you've mentioned. And the transformation that you're talking about really comes down to the way that healthcare is paid for, and that's what's going to be fundamental to promote better health. And the evidence we know is overwhelming that social interventions and access to advanced primary care, they do work to improve health. But there traditionally hasn't been the alignment of financial incentives for providers to make those important investments that are needed for that care delivery transformation. But in Nemours, you're entering into value-based payments and making those critical investments. And for example, your value-based services organization alongside the Delaware Children's Health Network, which is a clinically integrated network, has successfully put into place more than 13 value-based agreements, allowing 
the Moore's Children's to bend the cost curve, improve quality, and reach shared goals for value. One of the contracts with Medicaid includes incentives to identify and support social determinants of health, as you've been discussing, improve quality, and reduce disparities. And consequently, you've seen 34,600 SDOH screenings be conducted with Delaware Valley primary care patients just last year, and 14% of those patients received an SDOH-related intervention. As you mentioned, being an anchor organization for communities, you're really seizing the opportunity to deliver much more meaningful interventions beyond the brief encounter of, that happens in traditional primary care or, or a two-day stay in a hospital by connecting to the larger picture of what healthcare really means, i.e. the, the 80% of what drives out health outside of the brick and mortar of the health system. So we want to engage you more in depth on the social determinants of health later in the interview. But first, let's talk about the payment model aspect, the, the innovation required to deploy these types of interventions. And can you please describe your value-based portfolio expansion strategy and, and what your thoughts are about proceeding in risk-based payment? And, and how are these value contracts able to provide the financial fuel to drive your population health model? Oh, well, thank you, Dan, for, for asking that. You know, so we operate a variety of clinically integrated partnerships with our payers. Uh, we certainly leverage our CIN. We have active contracts, as you highlighted, that serve the Medicaid and commercial populations. Um, we also have accountability with some uh, hospital-level contract, and we, we operate value-based care contracts in both of our markets in Florida as well as in uh, Delaware Valley. Now, payment transformation is uh, foundational to being able to create all of the movement that we're making in value-based care to be sustainable. And you know, prior to coming to Nemours, you know, I worked for a large organization, and we we worked on the Medicare population, the Medicare Advantage, Medicaid commercial, self-insured, et cetera. And it's the same conversation in many ways, right? It's how do you adjust the payment infrastructure that we're paying for health and not health care or not just medicine. And it goes to the way that we are incentivized. I know when, to me, one of the things that's just really remarkable is the impact that we have around health and how we are not associating the payment infrastructure in that way. For example, we know that in the state of Delaware, 8% of the children suffer from asthma. Uh, we know that that has a huge impact on their ability to be focused. If children have an exacerbation on asthma, they miss school days. That maybe means that mom or dad or caregiver are missing work, which then has an economic impact on the state, uh, their employer. And it becomes this vicious cycle, really. And so when you think back to, and if mom or dad are self, you know, on a self-funded plan with their employer, it all goes back to paying for health versus paying for the impact of the medical intervention. And so to, for us, I think in children's health specifically, the conversations, and this is, this is the hard value proposition, everyone agrees that we need to make investments in children. It's the current present day economics versus the future economics. Uh, we believe that investing in children's health is the single most important thing we can do as a society, understanding that the payment return, there is definite payment return that we get early on, uh, but the longevity and the longitudinal impact is just tremendous. Uh, and so what we've tried to do is partner with payers, identified partnership opportunities with payers, Medicaid, commercial, et cetera, that really are like-minded and agree that there is opportunity for us to bend the cost curve. It could be through a traditional ACO model. Uh, it could be through quality incentives that really help drive outcomes and care. And what we're really excited about is that we've been able to partner with payers, several of them that have been asked and engaged around social determinant of health screening, uh, the ability to try and engage around Z codes to gather information, just to be smarter about that population and the needs. We're really excited about a partnership that we had with a payer that allowed us to accelerate around health equity and investments and to be able to measure and be recognized for addressing health equity barriers that we were seeing in populations. So 
you know, in short, I think payment transformation in children's health is a, is a blend of how do we take on accountability and risk, which we do have risk-bearing contracts. Uh, we do take downside and upside for the populations we're taking care of, as well as addressing the necessary investments that are needed in children's health that we know have a direct impact on those outcomes, whether that's school-based health, investing in education, and those are all, you know, we call it moving it upstream. So children's health payment transformation, I believe, is a blend of, you know, traditional accountable care models, as well as investments upstream. Well, Karen, I wanted to learn more about your social determinants of health screening process. From what I understand, implementing the system hasn't been a linear journey. I mean, there's been a great deal of challenges and, and continuous learning along the way. And across the board, Nemours conducts screenings for top common social determinants of health, as you stated, like housing and food insecurity, internet access, transportation, safety, legal needs, and asking the parents or guardians of pediatric patients about these personal issues can be really challenging in and of itself. I mean, these are really uncomfortable topics, and some parents or guardians may fear it reflects poorly on them or their child if there are problems at home. And these types of conversations require a high level of trust, and your workforce needs to be culturally competent to engage patients meaningfully, openly, and honestly about social barriers that are impacting health. And Nemours has been utilizing community health workers that can provide this level of culturally competent care, often because they have some of the same lived experiences from their own childhood in common. And these CHWs attend each child's clinic appointments, and they visit the family at home. They offer peer-to-peer -peer support, advocacy, and any socially or medically necessary resources. And they've been able to assist families with like securing housing and transportation, school enrollment, and even school supplies. So uh, can you describe your SDOH screening process and how that drives individualized interventions? And how do you ensure cultural competency of your population health workforce to ensure optimal results? You know, Eric, we started on the journey before I joined the organization, but I'm, I'm happy to, to share that Nemours was committed very early on. So in 2018, you know, long before the pandemic, enterprise-wide impact was assessed and social determinants of health efforts were launched. Uh, and they included a multidisciplinary team, right? providers, uh, care managers, social workers, and many others that were able to help really develop a tool. There was a scan of, you know, best wide practices. Uh, but as you can imagine, you know, at that time period and, and someone who worked from an adult place, the social determinants of health screenings that you would ask and assist for in an adult population are different. To your point, uh, the needs of a, a pediatric population are really important. And I think we've learned many things through that process and developing that tool, using evidence base to drive the surveying and understanding kind of our lived experience. We're able to create a tool uh, that we were able to build into our platform and our EMR and did a variety of, you know, implementations across that region that we we rolled that out. You know, I, I think to me, there's a couple of areas that I've learned from the team since doing this is, is the buy-in. And the buy-in is multifactorial, right? The clinical buy-in, there's also a need to develop a sense of comfort and confidence with the clinical team to have those conversations. And as you can imagine, you know, we, we always talk about how sometimes the maternal figure is kind of the head of the household or is the healthcare decision maker. And what's often true is that as you're completing these surveys, as you're identifying a need for a child around food insecurity, it's likely a family need. Uh, and we really see those as opportunities to impact not just the children, but the family. And in areas where we think potentially parents may not be taking care of themselves, but they are bringing their kids to the pediatrician, we've seen that there's tremendous opportunity for us to make sure that we're connecting them with the food bank or connecting them with other community-based resources. And so for us, that's really inspiring and a testament to the screening approach and, and the conversations. But we've had to build up the team to be comfortable with having those conversations. There's a variety of, of trainings that 
you know, we've done, we, we still have more training and work to do. So I certainly don't want to think that we are done. You know, this is a continuous improvement process. This is an opportunity for us to strengthen people's comfort in asking these questions, blending it into the normal assessment, no different than height, weight, allergies, and hey, how are you doing? How can we help you with these areas? Because we know that, but until we normalize these conversations, as part of what is provided in medicine and part of the care that we provide, um, you know, I think we still have work to do. And then to your question around the impact of families, you know, every family takes it differently. There are some families that absolutely are shy or reserved about sharing this information for fear of potential retaliation or concerns. Uh, there's, you know, certainly families who have embraced and are very excited and, and frankly, have been heartfelt and saying, you know, thank you. Thank you for reaching out and engaging in those. What we know and the, the lived experience is that the needs are greater than I think anyone would have potentially identified. And our ability and our opportunity to me is just exciting because this is really how we move health upstream. Right now, we're in the process of scaling the toolkit that we have in place internally. We're really excited about the work we have shared, the work with the White House commitment that we have made earlier this year. There was a conference where Nemours is committed to sharing a national toolkit around social determinants of health. Uh, and so I'm happy to come back to you, Eric and Dan, and, and share more about that when we launch that out publicly. But we're, we're very excited about this work, and we feel like this is the essence around going well beyond medicine. It's being able to connect, tick and tie, thread the needle, whatever you know, you want to you want to pick on really driving whole child health. Awesome, thanks, Karen. That's that's really exciting. I, I love to hear the work that you're doing, and you know, I'm thinking about something you've been alluding to, uh, making an impact in population health. It really requires extensive collaboration that extends beyond the localized healthcare delivery environment, you know, just in the hospital or the, the provider's offices. And as you were describing the way Nemours is practicing social determinants of health, I was reminded of that ancient African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child, meaning that an entire community of people must provide for and interact positively with children for those children to experience and grow in a safe and healthy environment. And this kind of work in value-based care certainly cannot be done in a silo. It requires community partnerships for successful outcomes. And Nemours is such a shining example of going well beyond medicine to cultivate these important partnerships with community organizations and schools and, and make those measurable health impacts in the lives of children and their families. One such example that stands out to me is that you've partnered with the Seaford School District in Delaware to provide physical and behavioral health services at elementary schools. And Nemours has been able to use this partnership to expand the impact of your primary care and other services in that area. I'd love if you could discuss how Nemours Children's Health partners with community organizations to expand your clinical reach and expertise. And how do partnerships like these help you better understand the needs of the community so that you can ultimately serve the children better? Yeah, well, I think... Dan, you're highlighting the healthcare ecosystem and that commitment to community-based care. We want to be where children live, learn, play, and grow. And in order to do that and impact the health, you have to be able to have those partnerships. And so I think, you know, often when we think about value-based care and, and the contracts and the kind of traditional partnerships, people think about healthcare facilities, right? They think of acute care medicine, primary, specialty, ancillary, right? It could be uh, behavioral health locations, you know, we'll think about long-term post-acute or home health. And, and that kind of tends to be where we, you know, often think we need to focus in order to drive and bend the cost curve. Uh, and I think for many of us that have been in this space, and certainly those that are working in pediatrics, we, we certainly recognize that there's some other areas that we need to think about. You know, there are huge market drivers right now around virtual care. We saw that during the pandemic and home health. Those are areas, the role that the home will play around community-based medicine and that healthcare ecosystem to me is really an exciting conversation. I think one that certainly is shining a light at the national level and I think even locally. And so I think those are things that I'm, I'm very excited to kind of see how those mature through the healthcare delivery system. 
but to your point around school-based medicine, so Nemours operates nine school-based health centers. Eight of those are through a partnership with the Colonial School District uh, in Delaware. One of those is at the Seaford location that you highlighted. Uh, and school-based healthcare programs really allow us to offer clinical, emotional, behavioral health support where children are learning. We just feel like it's a, a tremendous opportunity for us to help provide one better care. It's timely, you know, for patients that are enrolled in these programs. We have the ability to loop in mom, dad, caregiver, see the kid, you know, mom or dad may not have to leave their job. Um, it gets timely care. It's, you know, it's in there. You have the ability to get a prescription in hand. There's an ability to do testing if we need to. And so it's kind of one-stop shop. Um, and then beyond that, to make sure that we're driving continuum, we have the ability to share, you know, copies of those visits with their pediatrician. They could be a Nemours pediatrician. They could be a pedi pediatrician in the community. We've built those partnerships to make sure that we're, you know, keeping that medical home and intact. And so the school environment is one to us that, you know, to me, when you think about pediatric access to care and the ability to really drive whole child health, it's it's so important. It's foundational in many ways to to the strategies that we've developed. But then to the ecosystem, there's other things around community-based organizations. So how do we work with CBOs and faith-based organizations? And that's really where I think we have the ability to really expand to address social determinants of health in a very different way, to look at access. We know that there are many children that don't have access to care, and that could be because of transportation. Uh, it could be because of other challenges. Um, awareness of what's there. And I think leveraging the partnerships with community-based organizations allows us to get closer to where they are living. And that's really an opportunity that I think we're looking forward to and expanding their partnerships with those community-based organizations. And then the last one that I think I'll highlight that I think is an interesting thing specifically in pediatrics is how do we work with and partner government agencies? And so that could be things like juvenile justice or justice-involved youth, um, how do you really try and help address and support those populations, whether those are behavioral health needs, uh, it could be preventative care that is needed, and then certainly, you know, CPS or Child Protective Services. Uh, there's a lot of children that are at risk, uh, and those families that have been through trauma, and we really believe that we have a role to partner with and engage with those government agencies to help support and elevate those kids and those providers to make sure that we're doing care coordination, social determinant of health programming, thinking about the longitudinal care uh, in that larger ecosystem. So, you know, for me, when I think about value-based care and the work that we're doing, yes, you know, we think about the contracts and we think about payment transformation and you know, I'm happy to talk about Medicaid versus commercial and the disparities we see across those populations. But I also think about our ability to kind of pull people together in a different way. And that to me is probably one of the most exciting things that I have the teams kind of focused in on is how do we pull partners together to do this? Because it's going to take a bigger team. Well, Karen, as we talk about some of the challenges in delivering SDOH interventions for population health, I'd love to learn more about Namor's technology infrastructure. I mean, leveraging technology for care transformation has been a key aspect of population health throughout your enterprise for several years now. I mean, Nemours' value-based efforts benefit from 20-plus years of a single fully integrated electronic medical record infrastructure, as well as patient-centered primary care medical homes across the system. And this decades-long journey and tech-enabled continuous improvement is steadily contributing to improving processes and, and communication and eliminating inefficiencies in the, the delivery of care. And the focus of Nemours' leadership and in technology innovation has played a major role in building out the system's digital consumer-centric strategy and including overseeing the launch and expansion of a mobile app that allows patients with chronic conditions to connect immediately with the doctor. And several years ago, the Nemours Center for Health Delivery Innovation was launched to optimize population health by using design thinking and agile methodologies. And it's spawned such innovations as remote patient monitoring, provider-to-provider -provider digital health consultations, and an early literacy digital assessment toolkit. And the systems technology environment also allows for virtual rounding and telehealth delivery, as you, as you uh, mentioned earlier. As a value-based care executive, 
I mean, you're uniquely positioned um, in just the level of depth that you have and your expertise in technology and analytics to drive care innovation. And that well precedes even your work at Nemours. I mean, you've been a technology leader in the national stage for many years now, and you've been extensively involved with Hems and Chime. And I so I wanted to get your take on this important intersection between value-based care and technology. I mean, it's certainly not the holy grail, but there has to be some level of tech enablement to drive value-based care. I mean, can you provide your perspective on the importance of technology enablement to drive population health? And then how is the use of technology at Nemours Children's Health a leading exemplar for others to follow in the value movement? Well, Eric, thank you for being oh so kind. You know, I, I uh, feel privileged to have started career in the technology space. I think in that area, you learn so much about workflow, process, and, and the needs, not just of the clinical team, but also of, of patients. You know, I, I think you highlighted really nicely that Nemours has been doing some wonderful work. We've started the app a long time ago, and we're really thinking about what does that omni-channel patient experience look like, right? We, we know that families want to be empowered. They want transparency. They want to be informed. They want it convenient. We want it personal, right? All the things that you and I want, families want too. Uh, you know, I'm a mom of five, so I absolutely want those things for my kids. And so when I think about what Nemours' commitment has been, you know, you are right. We have developed a, a wonderful app, our CHDI team, the Centers for Healthcare Delivery Innovation. They've done some wonderful development in that app. We have the ability to get access to medical records and telehealth and patient education, patient intake, whether it's, you know, registration, scheduling, online bill pay. Those are all the things that uh, are so important to enable regular engagement, communication, ultimately letting patients and families be in the driver's seat and control around their care plan, uh, which we really think is a huge part of that patient experience driver. So there's been wonderful work around that. The EMR is a wonderful tool that we use in our population health team and our practices to try and help drive you know, decision-making at the point of care, whether that's uh, clinical decision support tools, clinical pathway tools, the ability to have data, you know, understanding if there's a gap in care or an opportunity to do kind of an acute intervention when the patient's in a practice setting is something that we certainly maximize our EMR for. We also have uh, data and analytics function within our value-based service organization, which has done some wonderful work in really looking at how do we bridge the clinical and claims data experience in a way that we have insights to try and help drive change. And that change could be financial, it could be risk associated, it could be clinical, all of it around the overall outcomes and where we're trying to go. And so I, I think to me, as someone who understands at the national level, the opportunity that we have, I go back to the Medicare program. Part of the success of the MSSP program has been the ability to get that claims data in a very transparent, open way. And that data has empowered practices and ACOs across the country for over a decade to understand care variation, to understand protocol opportunities, uh, where care is being delivered, where it is not occurring, cost, quality, et cetera. And in children's health, we don't have a Medicare, you know, the Medicaid data is not the same, right? It is variable by the state. It's variable by the payer. And the same thing is true around commercial. And so I, I really think that as CMMI and ONC are looking at the commitment we've made around value-based care, I think that there's an opportunity to set standards around the data that is being expected from our payers to allow for more interoperability. And I think that that is really the crux of how we're going to start to take value-based care to the next level. Because if we don't have that data, we are not well informed to make good investments in moving care upstream. So, you know, I, I think about the opportunities that Nemours has, the opportunities that healthcare systems have and payers, and really at a national level, I advocate for consistency in our payer claims data, similar to what we've done at a national level with our EMR data. You know, we've been looking to make sure that we can send 
simple things like admission, discharge, and transfer information across the country so you know when care was delivered, lab data, pharmacy data, right? There's lots of clinical areas that based on quality, safety, harm, you know, we've been able to standardize. I think payment's next. And I think that this is the time is now that if we are committed as a country to move towards value, now is the time beyond just Medicare. Karen, I want to dive into another aspect of technology while we're on the topic and just talk about how we've seen dramatic uptake in the use of telepsychiatry and digital mental health tools like smartphone apps during the pandemic. And while it's been great to validate the basis of evidence for the use of telemedicine in treating behavioral health disorders, the downside is that the mental health crisis for children in our country has skyrocketed since the onset of the pandemic three years ago. And there's mounting evidence that the pandemic has caused a huge demand for behavioral health care services among children, which in turn is putting further stress on a system where one in six kids between the ages of six and 17 has a treatable mental health disorder, yet only around half ever received treatment. I think with this longstanding challenge in, in the population health of our country that we've seen for decades and, and the social isolation and the childhood fears of the pandemic, all of these things will manifest as mental traumas well into the onset of adulthood. How is Nemours handling this pediatric behavioral health crisis? And can you provide perspective on the challenges and the types of solutions that can be enacted to minimize the mental suffering of children during these challenging times? Sure. I think back to, we were honored to host Secretary Becerra uh, in 2022, summer of 2022. You know, there was a, a national campaign and push by the Children's Health Association and by HHS around children's mental health. It is, it, you're highlighting it. I mean, the statistics are, are startling. We knew uh, the mental, emotional, and developmental impact pre-COVID was, was challenging, but we also know that through the pandemic, the mental health services and the demand has, has only increased. I, I think you referenced, you know, 25% increase in children's ages 5 to 11 have been in emergency rooms. And it's more than 30% for youth, right? Adolescents 12 through 17. And what we know is that a lot of the children are not receiving the mental health treatment that they need. Um, you know, the, the statistics that we've been able to gather is there's about 40% of children that are living with anxiety, 45% living with those behavioral health disorders. And so some of the interventions that we have, and we're continuing to build out, you know, we have been fortunate to have uh, in our Delaware practices an integrated behavioral health program where we have psychologists arm in arm with our primary care pediatricians and we have the ability to do brief interventions. So if there's a child that's come in, there's an adolescent who's having their well visit, they're in, and we identify that there's an immediate need. There are integrated psychologists that have access uh, either to do a brief intervention or to get an appointment for follow-up scheduled. Uh, and there's a variety of services that we offer through our primary care program. Then beyond that work, we also are really maturing the partnerships and relationships we have to ensure that our primary care practices have the ability to manage additional psychiatric support, partnering with our Department of Psychiatry, being able to expand our psychology offerings uh, as an institution. And we really believe that behavioral health is an opportunity for us to really expand the already great work that we've done, uh, but understanding that there's disparities around access. Uh, and I think you highlighted some of those disparities in a, in a real big way. You know, those are things that we see are huge opportunities for us. One thing I will note, Dan, the behavioral health diagnoses, based on the, the information that we've looked at, we see it's about 17% more prevalent in, in our Medicaid population. So I mentioned earlier the disparities between Medicaid and commercial uh, behavioral health. I'll say that again, behavioral health diagnoses, 17% more prevalent in a Medicaid population. And so that really allows us to evaluate where is their partnership opportunities back to my you know, earlier note with payers, with community-based organizations to really help address and look at those interventions. Well, Karen, when it comes to health, equity is imperative to the quality of care and health outcomes for all children and families. And according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, racism is a social determinant of health that has profound impact on the 
health status of children, adolescents, emerging adults and their families. And the pediatric community has a pivotal role to play uh, to begin to untangle the thread of racism that's sewn through the fabric of society and affects the health of pediatric populations. And racial health disparities are morally unacceptable in our society, and it undermines the economic future of America, too. And, you know, there was a quote from Daniel Dawes, who recently published a book, The Political Determinants of Health. And he stated that we would save over $300 billion per year if we were to eliminate American racial disparities in our healthcare system. And as the population in our country becomes increasingly diverse, securing our collective economic future is going to require us as an industry to close these racial health gaps in the most effective, efficient way possible, which is in childhood. Yet the statistics show that Black children are three times more likely to die in infancy than white children. They're seven times more likely to die from asthma attacks. They're more than three times likely to die after elective outpatient surgery than white children. And, and we're seeing a lot of focus right now on health equity with the new ACO reach payment model, but Medicare is only the tip of the iceberg. So can you discuss how Nemours is addressing racial disparities in care as part of your value-based care strategy? I'd be happy to. Eric, I'll echo some of the statistics, right? So when you think about the economic impact, you know, this was data that we actually got from the Kaiser Family Foundation. You know, uh, for the state of Delaware, household income for a white family is around $100,000. Uh, for a black family, it's $49,000. Uh, Hispanic and Latinos are around $47,000, right? So there's huge gap there. Uh, but when you go and switch to the actual health outcomes, as you noted, Teen birth rates are, are just a tremendous gap. So in a, in a white family, you know, you're dealing with about 5% per 1,000 or 5 per 1,000. In a Black, 26. In a Hispanic and Latino, 31. Uh, they're exponential. And when you think about the impact that teen birth rates have on the teen and the baby, the impact on infant mortality, access to care, uh, it, it definitely becomes an opportunity for us. Uh, so there are a variety of programs that we have in place, but specific to health equity, you know, I think it really goes back to just starting around the measurement and understanding the data. I think that there is opportunity for us to take the data that we have, stratify it in a way that we start to really educate not just the clinical teams and the patient, the family, the community partners, uh, but develop programs that allow for additional educational supports, access. Um, you know, we offer great care, uh, high quality care, but we need to be very intentional around how we engage uh, to help address those health disparities. And there are a variety of programs that have happened. I think you're probably very well in this group as well aware of the national programs. Nemours is also working through those programs. You know, we took the effort this past year to hire a chief health equity officer, uh, which was a wonderful partner to the work that I do around our value strategy. And as we're looking at the opportunities we have in the populations that we are accountable for, not only are we just trying to understand the data and the opportunities, but building out those partnerships to address the healthcare ecosystem. Uh, and some of those healthcare partnerships mean conversations with payers. Some of those conversations mean community-based organizations. Uh, and some of those are, you know, internal to Nemours across our clinical care teams on how we can help start to be creative and address those inequities, either through workflow or process changes. Karen, we've seen persistent and growing disparities in the rates that are paid to health providers by Medicaid, Medicare, commercial insurers. And, and it's a key issue for the Biden administration in its efforts to strengthen access to care and in regulations slated for release early this year. Medicaid rates are generally well below commercial rates. And in the general healthcare landscape, this drives treatment decisions and it creates disparities. Relatively low Medicaid-based payment levels put providers who primarily serve Medicaid and uninsured patients at a disadvantage not only with respect to attracting and retaining a robust and qualified workforce, but also in terms of investing in innovative care models and making critical and ongoing capital investments that can strengthen quality. Can you speak to how payment disparities, demographic attributes between Medicaid and commercially insured pediatric 
populations contribute to, to health disparities? And how has Nemours designed its care model to minimize these perceived differences to ensure every child is given optimal treatment, regardless of their health insurance status? Absolutely. You know, there's startling statistics, you know, about the work that we do. And certainly children's hospitals, you know, predominantly take care of Medicaid, you know, populations. That's that's well known across the country. Medicaid patients at Nemours have a higher disease burden compared to the commercial population we take care of, right? That's not surprising. You, know, you look at the national data, you know, we should look at our own personal. And so it's a couple of things that I think are worth highlighting. Children that have Medicaid are 50% more likely to have asthma than the commercially insured. We see that in the population. And those preventable hospital admissions due to asthma are 80% more likely in the children that have Medicaid. And so asthma is a wonderful example of where we have a variety of interventions. So those interventions start, of course, in the primary care practice. They run through the specialty care programs that we have. It also means the wraparound services that we have in our value-based service organization, whether that's leveraging care coordinators, uh, leveraging case managers, being able to leverage those CHWs that you mentioned earlier to work with a variety of things. It could be that we need to work on making sure we have inhalers. Uh, it could be treatment regimen and adherence concerns. It could be education around what those triggers are, understanding back to the social determinants, what are the areas that we need to be thinking about? Is it sports, uh, activity induced? There's so many things, the environment. Um, and so I think the asthma is one example when you think about the disparities you see between Medicaid and commercial, uh, it, it's kind of resounding around asthma and in areas that we certainly uh, understand. Beyond asthma, there's you know other examples when you think about behavioral health diagnosis. So I shared that again, behavioral health diagnosis in the, the Morris population, 17% more prevalent in the Medicaid. Uh, and so for us, that really, we think about what is the opportunity to make sure that we are in some ways proactively engaging in those conversations, moving that care upstream, making sure that the care teams are armed with the right tools to have those conversations, to make those referrals, to engage the right level of clinicians, and frankly, to make it easier. Uh, we know that we need to be able to not only have great access, but also have timely care. And that timely care may mean back to that integrated behavioral health program, that in order for those patients to get care and to be adherent to the care plan, we may need to think about having those social workers or psychologists in the practice setting uh, close to when the patient sees the pediatrician to be able to make interventions before they end up in the emergency department, before they end up with a preventable hospital association. Uh, so, you know, in a more specifically, we evaluate that data, we look at our Medicaid data, we look at all of the populations that we serve. Uh, and, you know, our care coordination team and care management team, and you know, we are blinded by the payers in that we take care of those kids. Uh, if they need help and support, we are committed to that. That's part of going back to how we started this conversation around well beyond medicine. We really believe that there is opportunities for us to try and impact the, the health of all of the children that we serve. And so that's something we put forefront uh, in all of the work that we do. Well, Karen, that's such an inspiration well beyond medicine. I mean, you're truly living it there at Nemours Children's Health and I've learned so much in our conversation today. And, you know, as we wrap things up uh, in our discussion, I, I wanted to ask you about what drives you as a leader in pediatric value-based care. I mean, it's clear to me that as a leader, you have this intrinsic dedication to give back to others. I mean, you do this in your work at Nemours, of course, and, you know, you're ensuring that you're making a difference in the lives of children. You also do this through giving back through committee and advocacy work with NACOS and CHIME. You're an adjunct professor at the Community College of Baltimore County, and you're, you're teaching a new generation of healthcare professionals about value-based care and population health management. So how does your service to others reflect your leadership philosophy and ultimately nourish your soul? I mean, for those, and also for those value-based care leaders out there that are listening to this interview, what would you impart to them about maintaining a service-oriented mindset as they look to make their own mark in their respective organizations and the communities to which they serve? Eric, you know, I think my passion is, you know, my certainly my family, and I really feel like it's a privilege to, to serve and to work in healthcare. When you think about 
the ability to touch people's lives in this industry. It is just profound. And certainly in pediatrics, I'm really enjoying the time that I've been at Nemours to, to impact the healthcare delivery system in a very different way. Um, we have an opportunity, and I would argue an obligation uh, to one another on how we can impact our health, our well-being, address those disparities. And we should be thinking about how we do that every day, being very intentional about how we're spending our time, our resources, and having that commitment. And so for me, that's really the fuel in who can I, who can I touch today? How can I change something? Understanding that incremental steps can turn into something much bigger. And so I'm I'm really honored that you had me on the podcast to share the work that we're doing at Nemours. We have an incredible VBSO team that I, I am privileged to work and learn every day from the team and, and a broader commitment from the Nemours Children's Health Organization and the work that we do collectively is to me what really keeps me, keeps that fire moving, keeps that passion. I feel like that's why we went into healthcare uh, to serve and I can't imagine any other reason for it. I love it, Karen. I mean, your leadership is really redefining children's health, and it's a just a phenomenal team that you're that that you're working with and building, and you're truly making a difference. Uh, we're honored to have you on the Race to Value uh, podcast this week, and we, I, I hope we can stay connected, and we certainly will stay apprised of all the great work that you're doing there at Nemours Children's Health. Well, thank you. Would be happy to keep telling our story. We've got some great stuff ahead. <laughs>